This program is brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute, a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys, professionals, and accountants at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. Twas the night before recording, when all through the set, not a creature was stirring, not even the pets. Soundproof blankets were laid on the tables with care, in hopes that reverberation would not be heard there. Their families were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of downloads danced in their heads, their wives rolling their eyes while they logged into Zoom to make sure they settled into their insecurities groove. When out in the yard there arose such a clatter, Kurt's neighbors decided to interrupt the matter. Away with a curse word, we swore in a flash, realizing their lawn crew targeted grass to thrash. The alley behind Chris's house was silent, although the co-host knew a garbage truck would soon be below. When, what to their wondering ears did they hear, but silence, hooray, to record through the year. With editing and production so lively and wise, they rely on Sue and Daniel, the team at PLI. More rapid than court filings, the guests they did came, and the host whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Deborah, now Robert, now Fabio and Leslie. On Sandra, on Jessica, on George and Jovi. To the depths of the research, to the street journal of wall. Now chat away, talk away, discuss away all. With microphones plugged in, they went straight to work and filled listeners' ears with insights with a smirk. And tweeting and posting through their social media prose, they published their eps and the listener count did rose. They sprang to home offices, to their team gave a whistle, and away their podcast went like the down of a thistle. After 26 episodes and a grateful year buttoned up tight, happy holidays to all, and to all a good night. Wow. Hello, and welcome to the Insecurities Podcast, helping you stay current on the latest securities, regulatory, and enforcement developments with a practitioner's perspective on the stories you should be following. As always, I'm Chris Ekimoff, and I'm here with my co-host, Kurt Wolf. It's good to be with you, Chris. Happy holidays. And happy holidays to you and yours, Kurt. Today, Kurt and I are going to take a look back at 2020 with all the cringeworthy re-listening we've done and, and also the grateful reverence we have regarding the Insecurities Podcast this year. This is our 27th episode, and we've been Woo. proud to share our practitioner's perspectives with you, as well as a little bit of that night before Christmas poem <laughs> version with our guests and all of you throughout this most interesting year. Yeah, 2020 has been a challenging year for so many reasons, but working on the Insecurities Podcast with you and the PLI team has really been a bright spot for me. I can't believe we launched almost a year ago, and we're 27 episodes in. Uh, you know, like you said, Chris, we're wrapping up the first year, and we thought it would just be fun to round out the year with a look back at some of our favorite moments, some funny clips that have happened on the show in 2020. Going back and listening to the past episodes was, you're, you're right, it was a little cringeworthy, but it was pretty cool. I, I feel like we've come a long way. Uh, we've had some great guests, and importantly, we've had a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of our favorite moments on this episode, and why don't you tell the folks what we have in store? Yeah, we looked back at, at all of these previous 26 episodes and, and really saw a couple recurring themes as well as some of our favorite conversations that just come to mind really quick when, when Kurt, you and I talk about this year mm. in, in insecurities. We're going to do a, a recurring joke 
that, that has come up and, and and I know Kurt's already shaking his head. It's not really a joke. It's actually a regulation, <laughs> but we've taken a little different spin on that. Uh, we're also going to revisit that uh, famous conversation with our, our friends in the, the trading and markets area at IEX and MFS to talk about how toilet paper uh, can be a a medium by which we understand trading in, in analytics. Probably the quote of the year we're going to revisit is, you know, say what you want about the galactic empire, but centralized control has its benefits, man. Probably one of our more esteemed guests uh, diving into some topical discussion. And also one of the recurring themes we've had this year is, is a discussion of securities in, in popular media. Uh, we've asked a few guests and had some discussions around uh, movies that have come up as well. But, you know, we really want to end this year in this episode with some of the more prescient uh, advice we received when talking to uh, students and recruiters about the law firm environment and, and law school world uh, during the pandemic this year uh, and some of the bright lights we can see through through some of those cloudy days. So we're looking forward to sharing some of our previous clips with you and, and talking through those as, as we get through the episode today. Let's get started with our first segment. So, Chris, as you mentioned, there has been, I mean, I would call it a running theme. You call it a running joke. Uh, but one yeah. of the things that we've talked about throughout the year is regulation best interest or, or Reg BI, which, of course, went into effect over the summer and it establishes a new duty of care for broker dealers. I'm not going to say any more about it because if you really want to know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not- Pick any, any episode. <laughs> well, I, specifically, specifically, Chris, you could go back and listen to episodes 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 10, 11, 15, 19, 22, 24, or 25. Sadly, Chris cut it from episode 14. But I feel like, you know, there's, there's plenty on the menu if you want to go back and find some references or, or yeah. a quick download on Reg BI. Yeah, Kurt and I both did our homework leading into this to, to see how much uh, we discussed uh, regulation best interest. And um, I like to think that as a forensic accountant, I'm pretty good at Excel. But uh, my count list of numbers of times Reg BI was mentioned actually exceeded the maximum row count uh, in Excel. So we're well beyond uh, my skills at doing that. So uh, with that, we want to jump into some of our highlights, uh, some of our quick cuts of, of our Reg BI discussions uh, throughout the year. And this, we're going to circle back to it. But again, another one we talk about almost every week, regulation best interest, Reg BI. Chris, it comes back again. Kurt and I had kind of been kicking around. We've got a little running theme here where Kurt has to bring up Reg BI at least once right. an episode. Yeah. So, All right, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, and, um, so full disclaimer, this question is just designed so that I can refer to Reg BI as the Phantom Menace. But with, <laughs> with that in mind... Vince, if you've, if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know it's a running joke between Chris and I. We count how many times we talk about Reg BI on every episode. And um, Chris, I'm sure, has tallied during the course of this one and will let me know later. We average um, about six and a half Reg BI comments per episode. So, yeah, we're, we're right. trying to drive it up on this episode, though. So, a little <laughs> bit of Reg BI. So here we are again. It's like instead of Reg BI this week, we're back to <laughs> we're back to yeah, the tide you had to say it. Up. I knew you'd get it in somehow, Kurt, <laughs> with the Reg BI. Unfortunately, you know, you long-term listeners of the Insecurities uh. Podcast will be a little disappointed that you know I think I got my my Christmas wish with the SEC Speaks Conference, and that for some reason, you know, whether it, it be a lack of, of Wi-Fi strength or, or yeah. some cable being cut in, I know in Greater going. Virginia, uh, Kurt was not online for the discussion of uh, Reg BI. 
which unfortunately, hopefully that's the only time we, we use that acronym here. But uh, I know Kurt was suffering a lot during that time period. Look, I, no promises. I, I bet I can sneak it in one more time before <laughs> we're done today. But yeah, this, this drove me absolutely crazy, right? You know, you sort of carve out periods of your day to tune into the conference. And I was just waiting for, <laughs> for remarks on Reg BI. And the internet went out in my neighborhood and like three or four surrounding neighborhoods. And so, you know, I, of course, I tweeted about it. And uh, uh, because my gift game is is strong, you know, there was this sort of picture of a guy like shaking an old Commodore 64 and screaming at it. And my tweet was, oh, cruel world. I've been waiting all morning to hear John Police talk about Reg BI. And of course, my internet goes out as he takes the stage. So, you know, folks who are tuning in for a Reg BI update, sorry, but today's not your day. Just like October 8th wasn't mine. <laughs> I'm sure for some reason we'll cover it in, in future episodes as well, I, Kurt. But I uh, have a feeling. Your side text had me worried during that period of the conference, but thankfully they they, they went on without it. All right. Um, so. Well, I think here we are now in the holiday season, and that last clip could have, couldn't have been more clairvoyant looking forward. It, it really was a Christmas wish of mine that, uh, that rugby I somehow play into to Kurt's participation in the SEC Speaks conference. And, and it definitely came through that way, didn't it, Kurt? Yeah, it absolutely did. Unfortunately, if part of your Christmas wish was not to hear about <laughs> Reg BI anymore, <laughs> I've got some bad news for you because <laughs> it continues to be a hot topic. We're going to hear more about it. We are going to talk more about it in 2021. Uh, you know, our friend Mark Sheff over at Investment News has reported recently that, you know, there are folks on one side who say we should scrap Reg BI altogether and start over. And then we've got folks on the other side who say, let's just give it a chance and see what happens. So I think no matter what, in a Biden administration with a reshaped commission, Reg BI is, is here to stay as a talking point on the Insecurities podcast. Yeah, I know. I know we'll probably be looking at 2021 and also have, you know, 11 quotes where we discuss Reg BI throughout the year, if not more. Let's hope. In the fall, we sat down with John Ramsey of the Investors Exchange, or IEX, and Dan Eisman, a quant trading analyst at MFS, to talk about trading and markets from an algorithmic perspective. Kurt and I had first thought about visiting this idea after both being interested in the popular Michael Lewis book, Flash Boys, that came out a few years back, and found our conversation with, with John Ramsey and, and Dan really enlightening in terms of some of the more technical aspects uh, of, of trading. You know, Not only the, the markets and the venues that, that can be utilized for trading, but the choices that individual uh, traders and, and investors make as they look at the, the trading landscape. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really interesting episode. And actually, I mean, I maybe wouldn't have guessed this when we launched the podcast, but some of these market structure or market plumbing issues have become something we talk about frequently. You know, we've talked about it with uh, J.W. Verrett and former Commissioner Jackson. We've talked about it with with Dan and John. Chris, you and I actually did a PLI studio briefing with uh, with JW and with Ty Galosh, where we talked about some market structure issues. We picked it up again on the Boxes and Lines podcast a little bit with John Ramsey and Ronan Ryan. So it's an interesting topic, you know, believe it or not. And this was a really good conversation thinking back to episode 15. But I think, <laughs> you know, maybe it wasn't exactly the the in the weeds market structure conversation that caught your attention, Chris. Yeah, that's right. And and, and as you listeners of that episode know, Dan Eisman and I have been good friends for a long time, uh, and I always in, enjoy speaking about these technical topics with him because he has a way of just 
really cutting to the quick uh, on what the real issues are. And, and in our episode, he discussed how uh, the market for toilet paper in New York City can be a way to illustrate uh, the important decisions that traders make when they're selecting venues uh, to make their trades. So, right, how does a practitioner actually use each of those venues to implement an investment strategy and and you know the analogy that I like to use to for people who are outside of, of kind of the trading industry is is to pose this almost tongue in cheek scenario where you have to buy all 10% of the toilet paper in New York City right you can try and go out and find a, a very large wholesaler that has a big chunk of of the toilet paper market that's willing to sell it to you right that may not exist. Um, and, and sometimes similarly to the stock market, right? there's not always offsetting natural interest, we call it, um, to actually execute that trade. So another thing that you could do is you could go to, you could go store to store uh, and start to buy them out of their toilet paper stock. But what you run the risk of is maybe a store manager calling up another store manager and saying, hey, somebody just bought me out of my entire toilet paper stock, and and the other store manager may choose to start raising the prices. Right? That's a little bit more synonymous to that information leakage concept or market impact comment that I raised earlier. Alternatively, you, you can either spread your purchases out over time. So you can go to one store uh, today and one store a week from now, and you can just keep amassing um, that that inventory However, you run the risk that there's an exogenous price increase. Let's say, you know, a, a new Chipotle opened down the street and that jacks up the prices for toilet paper because now there's an increase in demand. <laughs> right. And, and so, you know, I think there are many ways that to, to interact with the market these days to actually get trades done, right? Trying to interact with natural liquidity is, is a pretty frictionless trade, effectively, but it's not always there. And especially with the rise of indexing, you see a lot of investment managers whose portfolios look very similar. So everyone's trying to buy or sell the same stocks effectively, and you may not run into that natural liquidity. So you may be forced to go out into the market and 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 try and optimize this trade-off between the risk of a price moving adversely to you and the information that you're giving to the market by buying or selling a, a particular stock. And like I said, Dan and I have had this discussion uh, many times before. I don't know if he's just cornering the market on toilet paper or not, but uh, I thought that was a great way to talk about the decisions that investors make and how the market information gap can create some issues if you're trying to hold a specific position or defend against some other idea. Yeah, I agree. It was a very sort of accessible way to to explain the problem or to explain mm -hmm. the process. And look, like so many of us, I know I'm looking forward to going back to restaurants again, hopefully sooner rather than later. But after that, I'm thinking maybe not Chipotle. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we're going to have any sponsorship <laughs> dollars from a fast casual no. chain after, uh, after that one. All right. So we've talked about this episode a couple times already. You know, if we think way back to the beginning of 2020, we sat down with George Mason law professor J.W. Verrett and former SEC commissioner Rob Jackson to talk about some market structure issues. It was a really good episode. It was one of our most popular episodes. If you haven't tuned in, you should check it out. But on that episode, we talked about a few things because market structure is a big topic. So we focused on exchange immunity, Competition in the securities markets, 
the role of credit rating agencies. And as Chris is going to tell you, we talked about a little bit more than just market structure. Yeah, I enjoyed this conversation for a variety of reasons. First, of course, the the insights and the technical discussion were riveting. Secondarily, it was great to actually, this was our first, Kurt, remote recording uh, where we were outside the studio. We actually That's took right. our equipment to the offices of the U.S. Securities and Exchange we all, Commission. We went all the way up to the 10th floor. It was uh, pretty cool. We had an, an excellent view of the trains coming in and out of Union Station. Yes, and, and, and Commissioner Jackson had some uh, specific comments about seniority and the views you get out of your window as a commissioner right, at the right, SEC. Yeah. But third, uh, you know, the part that really got me was was one of my childhood uh, passions about the, the Star Wars universe. Mm. Uh, you know, JW and Rob went to law school together and still remain good friends, as you can tell from the episode, <laughs> while also taking the chance to, to get some jabs in on each other for, for good measure. And, and JW had actually set up the recording topic prior uh, without, I believe, Commissioner Jackson's knowledge to ask him some direct questions about about Star Wars. So I grew up as a Star Wars nerd, uh, really enjoyed that conversation. And, and we put together a quick set of questions to hear what uh, Commissioner Jackson's thoughts were on the Galactic Empire and if Han shot first. I want to finish today with a little bit more fun. We've talked on previous episodes of the podcast, Kurt and I, about the importance of footnotes. Uh, whether they're in a Supreme Court opinion or other decisions being made around uh, around the area. So Commissioner Jackson, it's uh, been noted uh, both as a, an avid reader of, of SEC-related activity as well as a huge Star Wars fan, that sometimes you'll fit some pop culture references into uh, into your uh, your thoughts and into your speeches. So it's okay with you. I want to run through a few questions just to flesh out some of those ideas. Yeah, sure. It's securities law, man. you got to spice it up somehow. Okay. So first off, uh, just yes or no answer, are these the droids you're looking for? These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> I wish that you you guys listening could see the face uh, that, that Rob made there. It was great. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase, who shot first? Come on, man. Of course I'm familiar. Okay, just want, I'm just measuring the gauge in the... Uh... Listen, I don't want to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. I know it's a very sensitive subject, especially at this moment in our nation's history, but I think it's very clear that Han shot first. Oh. That's, uh, there'll be... The, uh, how many internet trolls do we have now for the podcast? Yeah. There'll be... Yeah. And more. Yeah, just, <laughs> they'll be writing in. I just disqualified myself from future office, but no, <laughs> right. it, you got to speak your mind, man. Uh, Wookiees or Ewoks? Ooh, interesting. I, I got to go Wookiee. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a partisan issue. JW, what do you think? <laughs> no, Wookiees are Wookie, who would beat who in a fight. Clearly, Wookiees would win. It's true. Now, you know, look. Uh, also, Wookiees, you know, they they they, um, they they've played a major role throughout all of the prequels, sequels, and, gotcha, uh, and sequel sequels. So um, <laughs> uh, I, I got to go. I got to go with the Wookiees. Understood. I'm thinking about the Battle of Endor. If you know Chewie played a bigger role than the entire group of of Ewoks, but I'm- imagine an army of Ewoks. Um, an army of, uh, of, of Chewies. Chewies, yeah. I got to yeah. tell you, I feel like this is an enlightened view for me to take because as a, a man who stands at 5'6", I, <laughs> I'm very sensitive to the plight of the Ewoks. You, you could have gone with the easy answer there. but uh, uh, Yeah, but you know, I feel like I have to keep an open mind. Do you have a favorite Skywalker? Oh, that's tough, man. I mean, you know, I, I, t- I got to tell you what I love about – I've told JW this a couple of times. What I love about Star Wars is that uh, – uh, <laughs> A guy like me looks at Star Wars and I see uh, a lesson about corporate governance. Like, say what you want about the Empire, but like centralized control has its benefits, man. <laughs> you know, they, they, lots of Death Stars. They, you know, uh, look, the, the Jedi are fantastic, but, you know, they're often squabbling and not mm-hmm. paying attention. And Living in hunts rational, out there. They're yeah. rationally apathetic. It's, it's complicated. So, uh, so yeah, so I, um, I'm going to say Anakin Skywalker, and I'll, I'll, I'll say why. 
the first few movies make you feel like this is an easy uh, thing to understand. It's just a bad guy, mm-hmm. right? And it's easy to understand. Evil versus good, them versus us, that's easy to understand. It turns out it's more complicated than that. And I think that's a really valuable lesson. I would say, because I'm an enlightened guy, I would say Shmi Skywalker, Anakin's mom, because mm-hmm. where would we be without our moms? Where would Darth Vader be without his mom? Man, that's a hot <laughs> take. That's awesome. That, that wasn't yeah, even good. on the list of options, Chris. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of, of uh, significant capital expenditures, what was the most, most valuable investment? The first Death Star, the second Death Star, or the more recent Star Killer base? Wow. I mean, they all, it all ended badly. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Might be a time value of money, uh, you know, return, but return I think issue there. JW would agree that uh, regulators should be careful about making ex post judgments about ex ante considerations. So, you know, don't you, don't you think, JW? I mean, I shouldn't be uh, analyzing this. I, I don't know. All I know is we need spending caps in the empire, man. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'll say. Did, did, did you guys ever look at, uh, so for the first couple of years of the Obama White House, I think I was still in the Obama Treasury, um, they accepted petitions at the White House. And like, you know, they would, they would actively consider, and I don't know if you remember this, um, but someone petitioned, hey, we should consider building a Death Star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, th- I, I can't think, I remember it was NASA or somebody else, but someone had to, like, there was a response. And I remember very clearly uh, the first item of response, you know, here are the reasons why we're not gonna build a Death Star. Mm-hmm. And one was the administration is not in favor of blowing up planets. Okay. I feel like that, That's uh, a yeah. strong well, position we can all get behind. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think it's bipartisan. If you remember from episode one, which again is the Fourth movie in production, The Phantom Menace. Uh, Senator Palpatine, later later the Emperor, sorry, spoiler alert uh, for those of you who haven't followed along the past 40 or so years of film. Uh, his rise to power is set in motion because the Trade Federation did not comply with their need to pay appropriate trade taxes. Had the Galactic Senate better managed expectations with its taxpaying base, do you think we could have avoided the entire Star Wars saga? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as it turns out, the conflict, um, uh, as you know, was manufactured. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) I think uh, there might be a lesson in that. Uh, that uh, conflict is not what it seems. Uh, and, you know, look, uh, uh, fundamentally, I w- uh, it would have been a shame, right? Yeah. I mean, they're great movies. Come on. So <laughs> I'm kind of glad they didn't work it out. With the blown up planets aside, I mean, there was a lot of good to, to come out of it as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, like trade wars are not easy to win. It's very, very humorous how topical we're being today with mm-hmm. our Star Wars. Right. Uh, bringing it back to the SEC. Um, you know, Kurt and I had kind of been kicking around. We've got a little running theme here where Kurt has to bring up Reg BI at least once right. an episode. Yep. So, All right, I'm out of here. Yep. I'm out of here. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, and um, so full disclaimer, this question is just designed so that I can refer to Reg BI as the Phantom Menace. But with, <laughs> with that in mind, you know, there's always a lot of debate about, you know, what's your favorite Star Wars, right? So thinking about SEC rulemakings... If we thought that maybe Reg B.I. is the Phantom Menace, and you can tell me if you agree with that, what's your favorite Star Wars movie, and what's the, uh, the SEC rulemaking analog from your tenure? So I have a, a controversial answer to the Star Wars question. It's got me in a lot of trouble over the years, and I, you know, man, I hope this doesn't come up in the Senate ever. I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, but I, I think um, uh, Revenge of the Sith is the finest Star Wars movie, and here's why. Yeah, I know. That's one vote for yeah. Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah I'm like the only <laughs> guy in America. Yeah. Here's why I think that's... Uh, so um, telling a story isn't easy. And uh, what the challenge, if you think about it, when he sat down to write this, here's the challenge. Everybody knows what happened before. Everybody knows what happens next. 
And you have to write a story in between that's sort of compelling and makes sense. And um, I think the movie achieves that. My own sense is that people should be graded against uh, the, the, a reasonable set of expectations. We should be careful about how we define success. And in that situation, when um, he knows that everybody knows what happens next, it's one of the most iconic moments in movie history that Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. To have made it compelling is really an mm -hmm. extraordinary achievement. It would be like me dunking a basketball. I mean, you know, really uh, <laughs> not likely, but would be delightful if it happened. <laughs> I just love, I love the visual. Um, you know, look, I, <laughs> I don't know what's more likely, uh, you know, that, that Luke makes the shot to take down the Death Star or Rob Jackson is going to dunk a basketball. But I think there's plenty to debate in the Star Wars space. I do just want to point out, and this, this was actually in an earlier clip, I never got an answer from Commissioner Jackson about whether or not Reg B.I. is the Phantom Menace. So <laughs> stay tuned in 2021. We're going to get that answer for you. We might have to make that a recurring question for all of our guests. <laughs> Side topic. Do you think Reg B.I. is the Phantom Menace? Yes or no? Um, and I think if, if Commissioner Jackson is going to dunk a basketball, there's probably going to need to be more than a, a universal force right. that helps lift him uh, oh, lift him over man. the rim. We'll, we'll be working on that one. <laughs> Sticking with the movies, Chris, why don't you kick us off with our next segment? Yeah, and it's been one of those interesting topics. You know, Kurt, you and I are kind of securities law and, and enforcement yeah. nerds. So we're always checking the the movie times to see what uh, what legal or, or financial movie might have come out. <laughs> but so too are our guests. And, and maybe that's a self-selecting uh, criteria for <laughs> guests for the Insecurities podcast. But we had a few discussions with our guests this year about what their favorite representations of the topics we're discussing are in, in pop culture. That's right. It's something that we had two very, uh, three very specific conversations with guests about movies. But even outside of that, it's something that's come up, you know, time and again. I actually went back, you know, listening through our episodes to hear when we were talking about movies. We talk about it a surprising amount, um, even if it's just to, to sort of describe something that we've seen in the market or, you know, a sort of narrative that we can pull out of a case. We, we do like to kind of revert to movies and maybe that's just because they're pretty accessible. We actually mm -hmm. had, a, we had this conversation again recently on the Boxes and Lines podcast with, uh, with John and Ronan, where they asked us, what is our favorite Wall Street movie? Chris, of course, went with the accountant. I mean, obviously, because there's never been a more realistic depiction of being a CPA than Ben Affleck's uh, murder mystery money laundering take that we saw coming out a couple of years ago. Uh, that, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I actually skipped the movie question. I, I went for the show Billions on Showtime, which, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to have an episode about that coming up in January. So stay tuned. But, uh, you know, the point is we talk about this stuff a lot. And so there were Two guests we had this year where we were talking about whistleblower issues, and we asked both of them, what's your favorite whistleblower movie? So first up, uh, way back on episode six, we talked to Matt Stock about the SEC and CFTC's whistleblower programs, and here's his response to what's your favorite whistleblower movie? Um, whistleblowers are, are, are kind of an interesting uh, development in the past 15 or 20 years in terms of Hollywood. Uh, a lot of feature films coming out related to you know some of the, the headline cases of whistleblowers. If you had to pick one, what has been your favorite feature film related to the topic of whistleblowing? That's tough. Uh, one doesn't come 
exactly to mine, but I will comment on the fact that the popularity of whistleblowing and the concept of whistleblowing has just been exploding in the media. But I do watch most of the movies and I can say for certainty that most people would not qualify for an award under the SEC whistleblower <laughs> program and, and I think most whistleblower programs. But that's not to say they weren't important issues. It's just to say that I don't think they were eligible. All right. Well, for, for those of you listening, if you want to check out a couple good whistleblower flicks, we, we've got a, a handy little list here that we'll share with you. Uh, it includes uh, The Insider, which is probably the highest rated whistleblower movie, at least according to Rotten Tomatoes. It's a 1999 film starring Russell Crowe. Uh, there is always The Whistleblower starring Rachel Weisz, 2010. Also, pretty pretty good mm-hmm. ratings on Rotten Tomato. Um We've got Michael Clayton from 2007 starring George Clooney. Uh, the Informant, a sort of funny take on a whistleblower story uh, starring Matt Damon. Uh, just last year, The Report starring Adam Driver of Star Wars fame. And of course, there is the OG whistleblower movie, All the President's Men from 1976, starring Robert Redford as Bob Woodward and Dustin Hoffman as Carl Bernstein memorializing that parking garage in Roslyn, uh, Virginia, uh, mm-hmm. right outside of D.C., where, where those conversations took place. That's right. That's right. All right. And we came back to that same question with Tom Moeller, our guest on episode 26, when we talked with him about whistleblowers in his recent book, Crisis of Conscience, Whistleblowing in the Age of Fraud. We didn't get a straight answer out of him, though, regarding who would play him if the movie based on his book is ever produced. Yeah, Tom, on a lighter note, we always like to, to hear about, you know, how you see whistleblowers represented in pop culture and, and is obviously a, a area rife with representations in, in popular media. Do you have a favorite whistleblower movie? And, and if so, what is it? Oh, I have a bunch of favorite whistleblower <laughs> movies. I, I actually think they're fantastic entertainment. Uh, the problem is that, you know, again, so often there is a two hour high suspense, high drama, very painful experience after which the whistleblower wins and and everyone walks away cheering and that unfortunately doesn't represent reality however the the insider i think is one of my absolute favorites about jeffrey wigand the tobacco whistleblower Mm -hmm. and the way in which russell crowe is able to 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 bring out the the really deeply psychologically unsettling techniques that the big tobacco companies use against dr wigand and and the way in which the press is it Al Pacino is 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 the sixty minutes reporter, mm-hmm. you know, is is kind of you know they're they're being pushed by their corporate owners to, you know, it, let's be careful how we portray this. And is this guy in fact a loose cannon, a crazy guy, or is he? So I think the insider captures, uh, apart from just being really really good entertainment, it captures a lot of the the deeper dynamics that we tend to gloss over. When we look at whistleblowers, uh, whistleblower stories as a happy David and Goliath triumph of uh, the little guy over the institution, which just ain't the case in many in many cases. Yeah, that's right. And on episode six, we asked Matt Stock the same question and came up with a, a good list, including the informant. You know, obviously a, a little bit lighter take than than Russell Crowe's portrayal of, of an insider, uh, as well yeah. as all the president's men, which you know unrelated to to business specifically, but uh, definitely touched on one of the major milestones in the, the 20th century here in the United States. 
Totally agree. All the President's Men is a great, that was on my list here. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael Clayton, I think, is also yeah. a very, very good. Um, you know, whistleblowers can be compromised. Why, Michael Clayton, George Clooney, does a great job as this sort of sleazy fixer at a yeah. big law firm mm-hmm. and whose who's buddy and, and genius de- defense lawyer, you know, loses it and starts saying the truth, which is that, you know, this big, pesticides corporation has been causing cancer in massive numbers of people. And all of a sudden, George Clooney, who is this fixer, I mean, he knows he's not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of dirty stuff. All of a sudden, he reaches his breaking point or his, you know, his point of fear because his car blows up. He thinks, boy, if I don't do something. So I think that also captures some of the mixed um, characteristics that, you know, not all whistleblowers need to be. We shouldn't expect them to be saintly. They are people, too. And, and their motivations ultimately are, are secondary to their facts. And, and maybe a little too personal question here, Tom, but has, has anyone picked up the movie rights to Crisis of Conscience yet? And, and if so, you know, <laughs> both, both Kurt and I are interested in, in, yeah. in our acting careers taking off as well. So we're, we're happy to be reporting for the casting call. I, you know, I, the funny thing is that people like the Hollywood version a lot better than they like the reality. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a, 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 several people have said, Hey, great book. Ooh, tough read. <laughs> you know, one, 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 bit, one business professor said, you know, I was so depressed when I read that. And then I started thinking, no, I've got to find ways to fight back against this. Because the reality is, you know, the good guys and the good gals quite often don't prosper. And the bad guys just keep doing it. So, you know, it's not. And it was kind of hard for me to write that book because, you know, I, I kept tugging towards the happy ending. And, you know, there are some very successful whistleblowers. There are some, there are some happy endings. But, you know, many times they, they themselves say there shouldn't be whistleblowers. We shouldn't need whistleblowers. The fact that we have them in the first place and that we, the whistleblowers, are so much a part of the daily news is a problem in itself. And I, and I think ultimately that's, that's true. So, you know, my, I ultimately, if they make a film of this, of this book, it will be focused on, I think, more the, the Age of Fraud subtitle than the whistleblowers mm-hmm. in. Because, you know, the, again, you know, we really shouldn't have, we shouldn't need whistleblowers. We shouldn't rely so much on them. What does it mean about our social institutions, our governmental institutions, our corporations, if we require, you know, people to... to to really break faith, uh, to change their allegiance, and to and to go undercover, to wear a wire, all this stuff—it's very dramatic, but it's kind of scary when you think about what, what that means. Maybe we're leaning towards a, a Netflix series here because they they don't seem to have any difficulty coming to a, a sour ending sometimes. But they that's, yeah. no, that's, that's true. Like, dirty money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let the credits roll. Yeah. Awesome. True enough. True enough. So, Chris, I mean, listening to it again, you're right. We really didn't get a good answer about who's going to play Tom Muller or any of his heroes in the book. Um, But maybe, maybe if this goes to a Netflix series, I think you might be a pretty good Tom Muller on the silver screen. So I don't I don't know. Get get the casting director. Call your agent. I I see Chris Ekimoff coming to a Netflix series near you. I mean, it has been my longest dream to 
to play an accountant or an investigative journalist <laughs> on, on, a, on a big budget production, Kurt. Uh, I think I wrote that as, as a wish to Santa when I was a child, but uh, my guess is that letter is is long gone on the North Pole and, and won't be coming true. You never know. You you did get your <laughs> reg BI wish at the SEC Speaks this year. So. <laughs> yes, I do. I do keep an interesting Christmas wish list. We'll just put it that way year over year. All right. We've listened to some some really good, I think, outtakes from some of our favorite episodes today. Uh, some of them are funny. In fact, I think all of them were funny today, but we wanted to end on a little bit more of a serious note, a little bit more of a positive note. And I think one of the episodes that really stood out to us during the course of 2020 actually wasn't one that had an awful lot to do with securities regulation or enforcement or accounting. It was the episode where we sat down and talked with some law students and some career services professionals just to have a frank conversation with them about what it's like out there, right? Trying to find a job during a pandemic, trying to figure out what are we going to do after law school or between second and third year? Because it's a challenging year for those folks too. And I think, you know, the thing that we really took away from it was just how upbeat everyone was. The students, the career services professionals, everybody was taking a positive take, a sort of glass half full take and seeing opportunities that maybe didn't exist before. And and that is something that has really resonated with me. You know, I hope it's something that we can take into 2021. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that over the past week. We've been prepping for this episode. And after kind of re-listening to to the students and and the career services folks, I thought, man, you would think that an episode about getting a job during a recession, during a pandemic, that could have been a very down uh, episode, right, Mm -hmm. Kurt, in terms of the the guest uh, commentary and and the folks we spoke with. But I was just amazed at at that. You said the word upbeat. It's so hopeful and and kind of enduring kind of the attitude, you know, it's, yeah, you know, things are going on right now that aren't perfect. And, you know, I'm doing uh, zoom interviews for, for jobs at big law firms, you know, with, with uh, my suit and tie on in, in my childhood bedroom, right at my parents' house, you can't feel, uh, you know, as comfortable, you know, interviewing is never comfortable, but as comfortable as you might've been looking for your first job on on the regular front. So, you know, Kurt, we've always joked about uh, one of the key lines in this, uh, this segment we've got to play for you guys to, to take out the show today, but uh, we've called it the quote, even if the wheels fall off, there's a way to salvage it <laughs> right. line. So whether you're going stir crazy for the holidays or just sick of reminding your coworker, Tom, that he's on mute, uh, we hope you take some positivity from this clip into the end of the year and throughout 2021. And I think that's something that we have learned since uh, last March, that despite our best laid plans, things still go wrong. And and that's okay. <laughs> Even if the wheels fall off, in most instances, there is a way to salvage it. And we have all been in situations over the last several months where the doorbell rings or your kid runs through or something will go wrong, but it's taken off a bit of the shiny veneer and we've all come to be a bit more forgiving of one another. So you don't panic, you make the best of it, you apologize and you keep it moving. Well, folks, that does it for this special episode of the Insecurities Podcast. We hope you're making the most of this holiday season with you and yours. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to tune in. We have one more episode coming in 2020. On New Year's Eve, we are going to release an episode where we're going to visit with the hosts from some of our favorite podcasts, and we hope you'll join us. 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Insecurities Podcast. And a special thanks to our more than two dozen guests that have come on the podcast this year throughout 2020. As always, we want to hear from you regarding your thoughts, comments, and topics for future discussion on episodes of Insecurities. Please use the hashtag InsecuritiesPod on Twitter or LinkedIn to join the conversation. You can find me at CPA, And I'm at Enforce underscore Update. Be well, everyone. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Insecurities, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. PLI is a nonprofit provider of authoritative professional services training and continuing education. In an increasingly complex business environment where intricate corporate structures reign, insecurities can help you make sense of it all. A special thanks goes to the producer of insecurities, Daniel Pinitz, as well as hosts Chris Ekimoff and Kurt Wolf. For more information about PLI's SEC Institute or to view hundreds of hours of fresh and relevant on-demand programming covering changes within the security sector, visit pli.edu membership and sign up for a privileged membership. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal, audit, tax, consulting, business, financial, investment, or other professional advice, and it does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please consult a qualified professional advisor before taking any action based on the information herein. Furthermore, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. PLI, Troutman Pepper, and RSM do not make any representations or warranties, express or implied, regarding the contents of this podcast. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission from PLI.